And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, for the last time this month, we have our brother coming up, uh, Sean McMahon. That's uh, right, for the last I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I tell you what, I appreciate Sean uh, coming here the past two weeks when we first talked about him coming to speak. He, especially at the beginning of this, he said, what do you have going on in the month of September because your month's going to be crazy? And I said, revolution. You know, oh, good gracious, that's terrible. And so uh, he, he immediately said, I, I, he looked at his calendar. These two weeks that he had were the only two available. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to come for both of them. And I tried to talk him off. Ah, no, how about just the one, like today's date? He's like, just come here. He went, no, brother, I want to serve you. I want to serve your church well. And so uh, I would just say I appreciate him coming, and especially right now, to, uh, to, to preach the word, uh, how much of a blessing he's been to me. And just to kind of also just say about revolution, I don't want to thank everybody who came uh, and served and helped out anyways we had tons of cupcakes and cookies uh, you'll probably be seeing those on Wednesday night for the foreseeable future from the ones that we have left over uh, but honestly we had up to at one point 173 students in this room praising and worshiping the Lord um, it was a fantastic time if you haven't had a chance to see on our Facebook page you can go on there and see all the photos uh, that Joseph and Cohen took as well as a video that one of the uh, youth pastors Daniel Lloyd of Wakulla State posted of just students praising and worshiping God. Uh, it was a fantastic week, and I want to thank you so much for, for those who helped, uh, for those who prayed, uh, and, and know that the Lord did good, or it was good here. Um, so uh, without further ado, appreciate you, brother. Tyler, just for you, I wore my Florida State socks. <laughs> Oh, goodness. It is a joy to be with you again. And uh, this morning I want to share with you, and I want to ask you to, to share along, actually, to follow along. I, I want you to, to consider something. Would you be like a Gaius, a Diotrephes, or a Demetrius? Now, I'm one of these people that have long wondered... Why can't everybody in the Bible be named John and Mark and stuff like that? You know, uh, I lead a Bible study on Thursday nights, and sometimes when we have to get into some Old Testament things, uh, the other people in the Bible study will always defer to me. You get the names. And, and I say, yeah, as if I have this uh, magic pronunciation of all the biblical names. But would you be like a Gaius, a Diotrephes, or a Demetrius? We're going to be looking in 3 John this morning. The question comes because I wonder, have you ever known someone that was the model church member? You know that person. Uh, they're, they're the person that everyone wants to be like. They're the, they're the person that's faithful to Christ and His church. They're the person that is gracious and considerate to others. They're loved by people inside the church as well as outside the church. They're the person who puts others ahead of themselves consistently. They, they never seem to have an agenda or never have a false motive. They're highly respected in their church. They're highly respected in their community. These are the people that church members and pastors wish they could clone 
and fill the churches with. And I suspect that I'm looking at some who are like that. But then there are those who are the opposite. They're clearly not the idea of a model church member. These are the people that are disliked and disrespected inside their church and pretty much outside the church as well. They're usually critical. They're usually stirring up conflict. They're driven by an agenda which is usually personal. They need to be in control, and sometimes they'll see themselves as the church sheriff. Uh, they're manipulative, and they often get others to do their dirty work for them so that they can say, hey, I didn't do it. They often use phrases like, I've been told, or people are saying, to justify their attitude and their actions. And in reality, they're probably not true followers of Christ. They walked an aisle one time. They said the magic words to the pastor. They jumped in the magic water because that's what they were told to do. But they were never redeemed by the blood of Christ in reality. But woe to the person who would ever confront them on it. You see, pastors and even church members know to always be on your guard against these. That we have in every church, by the way. Both are talked about in multiple places in Scripture. One is to be praised, the other is warned about. One desires to serve, the other insists on being served. One is a true believer, the other is highly questionable. One's a blessing, while the other is a near constant source of fear and frustration. You say, why, why, Sean, are you bringing this up? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at what Scripture expresses about both of these persons because both of these persons are discussed in this very, very brief letter in the New Testament, the shortest book in the New Testament of 3 John. It's only got 14 verses, but it's unique in that it, Jesus' name is never mentioned. And it's not a doctrinal letter, and yet... It was deemed worthy and appropriate to be in the canon of Scripture because it has volumes to say to us in just these few short letters, a few short verses. We don't know much about the church that's involved. We believe it was probably in what's present-day Turkey because it was where John, that's where Ephesus is, and that is where John was ministering at the time. We do know it, again, like Second John that we looked at last week, is by the Apostle John. But unlike 1st and 2nd John, which are clearly addressed to churches, this one is clearly addressed to an individual in the church. And it deals with an issue that is clearly becoming detrimental to the, to the spread of the gospel. The theme of the letter, quite honestly, is showing love and hospitality while staying faithful to the truth. It's a consistent theme with John, by the way. And at the same time, it, it not only is addressing love and hospitality, it, it is dealing with three characters, three individuals. Gaius, he's the recipient of the letter. Diotrephes, he's the nemesis of the church. And Demetrius, he is the, what we believe is the deliverer of the letter. So I would invite you to look with me at 3 John, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. 
dear friend, I pray that you're prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you're acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they're strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he's not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal to us our own being, who we are in Christ, and how we should relate to this body that we call the body of Christ, the local church that Christ died for. I pray, Father, that this morning as we look at your word, that, that you might speak to us, that you would reveal truth to us, And if necessary, Father, you convict that when others look at us, they would see Christ. And we might rid ourselves, rid our attitudes, rid our character, rid our, our, our entire focus from being about us and make it about Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. So, as we consider this brief letter, I, I have three questions that come to mind. The, the questions are tied to the three people mentioned in the letter. And, and it's, they're really tied to their character. And so as we consider these, I want you to, to translate it from the first century to today. Are you like Gaius? If other people were to be able to give an honest statement without any fear of reprisal, would they say you're like a Gaius? Now consider about consider how John spoke about Gaius. And Gaius, again, was a recipient of this letter. And John spoke very, very lovingly and, and, and dearly told him. And, and obviously it was, Gaius must have been one of the leaders of the church. But like in, in verse 3, he says, I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you're walking in the truth. Because that brings you great joy. 
You see, Gaius was living out the gospel. He was faithfully living out the gospel. His desire was to honor Christ. His desire was to honor his Lord. And he was living it out faithfully. And John is reminding him that that brings great joy to me. So Mike, let me ask you this question. If someone were to talk about you, would they say you're someone who lives out the gospel? You know, this is a theme for John. That's how important it is to him. You know, in, in 1 John 2, he says, For whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You see, if we say we love God, we're to live out the gospel. And Gaius was obviously faithful to doing that. He also showed hospitality to others. And he said in verse 5 and 6, he says, Dear friend, you're acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they're strangers. I have the, the pleasure, and sometimes it's not the pleasure, to be visiting in a different church almost every Sunday. The only reason I would ever say it's not the pleasure is if I'm having to step into a church that's steeped in conflict, I'm not there today, by the way. But if I have to step into a church that's steeped in conflict, or I've had people who are friends in ministry, having been a pastor for a very, very long time before I came into this role 12 years ago, I said, one of the, one of the drawbacks is you're a visitor every single Sunday. And you're also that guy. You know who that guy is. The guy that everybody looks at and says, I'm supposed to know who he is, but I don't know who he is. Or he supposedly is somebody important, but I'm not sure exactly why. Or he, something, something, he has something to do with us, but I'm not sure what that is. You're that guy. Which isn't always comfortable. But the reality is, one of the great things is the number of people that I have the privilege to meet who are just so gracious and so courteous, and so loving. My personal, uh, my love language is sarcasm. It really is. Uh, you know, the, the young men, the three young men that have become my sons-in-law over the last 15 years have learned that along the way. You know? They've, they've learned, and, and after the first one, he told the second, and then after the second one, they both told the third one that the first time they get picked on, not just by me, but by my wife, you're in. It's my love language. But there's a difference between sarcasm that is really rooted in love, such as my picking on Tyler about his poor choice of college fandom, versus being mean and uncaring. But Gaius was that person who loved others, and it was very clear that because he showed hospitality, especially to those who were strangers. In other words, he was saying, you know what? You may be a stranger to me, but you're not a stranger to Christ. And let me give you a little insight. Scripture tells us that there is a little, uh, how do I say, a little caveat as to why we ought to be entertaining strangers 
The writer of Hebrews says not to neglect, in Hebrews 13 too, he says, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so, some have welcomed angels into their midst. Do you believe that there are angels today? Yes, I do. I remember one time, it was about, about 35 years ago, I was in the St. Louis metro area, and my senior pastor and I and our, our student pastor and a pastor of a sister church in our community had all gone into, we lived outside in St. Charles County, a suburb of St. Louis, and we'd gone into St. Louis for a pastor's meeting, and, and my senior pastor drove a Camaro, and he drove it very, very hard. And we're coming back on Interstate 70, and we're crossing the Missouri River into St. Charles County, and it's, there's, there's five lanes, okay? And in the span of the Missouri River, which is pretty wide, we were in each of the lanes, and several of them twice. As we came on across, my, the student pastor, his name was Bruce, great friend even to this day, Looked at, looked at Pat, the other pastor, and said, Pat, so do you? Because the, the question of, of the meeting, one of the discussion topics had been about angels. And he says, Pat, do you believe in guardian angels? He says, believe in them? Mine just tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're on your own, buddy, and jumped out the window. <laughs> now, do I believe angels? Pat didn't believe angels acted like that either. But you know what? Here's the reality. God will send his messengers among us. And at times we don't even realize it. We should be showing hospitality to others. Third thing about Gaius is he generously supported those in ministry. He said, you would do well to send them on their journey in a matter worthy of God, for they set out for the sake of the name they accepted nothing for the pagans. You see, it's the responsibility of the believers to support believers in ministry. I am a big, 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 big proponent of churches taking care of their pastors. I also believe in the vocational evangelism. It's something that's very rarely seen anymore because it's hard for evangelists to survive now financially. I'm a big believer in, in missions. Your McGuire State Missions offer. And by the way, there are two church planters currently in our association who are receiving support from the McGuire State Missions offering and two more in the pipeline about ready to launch. So your McGuire State Missions offering is staying local. Some of it. And so I encourage you to generously give to that. You see, Paul commended the church in Mas churches in Macedonia for supporting, supporting those in ministry as well. And he encouraged others to follow their example. In 2 Corinthians 8, he talked about it. He says, uh, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by their affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And he goes on to talk about how they supported others in ministry and encouraged the church in Corinth to follow that example. You see, we're part, you are part of what we call the Florida Baptist Association, which is churches in Leon, McCullough, Western Jefferson, and coastal Franklin County. 54 churches that partner together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's in addition to what you do with the cooperative program giving that you give that supports churches in the state, supports the ministry in the state of Florida, in the United States, and around the world. Why do you do that? Because you guys know what we all know. We work better together than we do alone. And we need to be encouraging one another 
in the work of the gospel. Gaius was that person. He simply was that person. You see, he was clearly a godly man who lived a life that had a character worth following. And so my question to you is, as you look at yourself, or as others look at you, would they say, you know what? Yeah, you, that's you. You're like Gaius. Or would others say you're like Diotrephes? You see, in contrast to Gaius, John's words about Diotrephes were not near as flattering. See, Diotrephes was this guy, he put himself above the other, others. In verse 9, he says, he loves to have first place among them. It was important to Diotrephes to be in charge. He was the guy who was going to be in charge. He didn't even care if it was to the detriment of the gospel. He was going to be in charge. He was a malicious person and a slanderer. John says, I'll remind him of the works he's doing, slandering us with malicious words. You know, in, in multiple places in Scripture, we're told about how the Lord despises those who lie and slander. Folks, there's no place for it in the body of Christ. As I was, as I was reading back through this, I don't know why. It was last night, I'm, I'm sitting in there and I'm reading back through this for some odd, odd reason. I had a childhood flashback to Hee Haw. Oh, forgive me, please. But that one little skit that they did in Hee Haw with the ladies all sitting around saying that they weren't gossips, we're surely we're just not the gossipy kind. You'll never be hearing us repeating gossip, so you better be listening closely the first time. Yeah. I don't know why Hee Haw came to mind. Maybe I was abused as a child. I'm not sure. But here's the deal. We have people who love to gossip in a church. Every church has them. People who could care less if they hurt someone else because they're convinced that they're right or they're convinced that they've got to stay in control. That was Diotrephes. He was also a selfish control freak. He was the church sheriff. We've all known people like this. It was going to be their way. Uh, I knew a church once. I served a church once. Where it was clearly known that unless this certain individual was behind something and supported something. It didn't matter how good it was. It didn't matter how worthy it was. It wasn't happening. Because this certain individual controlled everything. You see, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. We're told, John says... He's not only satisfied with being a malicious slanderer, he refuses to welcome new believers. Have you ever known someone who actually wanted to keep people from joining a church? Oh, I've known a number of them. Their motive, 
maybe control. We had people in a church I served that uh, there, there was a couple, they, they were so determined that they did not like me as pastor. What's not to like? I mean, come on. Anyway, they did not like me as pastor, but I didn't know what they were doing. Uh, these two individuals, they said, hey, listen, we can't do visitation, but we could make calls and, and send emails to people who visit our church and just as our way of reaching out. And we said, fantastic. So every Monday morning, uh, one of our secretaries would email them over all the guests. We were a military community. We had a lot of guests every week and emailed them over the list. And what they were doing was sending emails and making phone calls saying, don't come back. We are working to try and get rid of the pastor. And the only way that'll happen is if people stop joining the church. This went on for about nine months. And it finally got revealed when someone came to me and said, Sean, I need to show you an email I got and the follow-up email I got. And when the individuals were confronted, they said, so? Folks, there's actually people like that. Diotrephes was like that. And he also was viciously opposed to anyone who was up, would oppose him. Says he never even stops. He doesn't even stop there. He expels them from the church. Imagine having someone who had that kind of power, that kind of authority, that he would run anyone out of the church. That he did not see, that they didn't see eye to eye with him. He would be the kind of person who would control the money. He would control everything about what happened. You see, that mindset, the mindset of diatrophies, it's wicked and it's evil. And it has no place in the body of Christ. And John says they're consistent with someone who really doesn't even know Christ. Oh, they're church members, and they may even be leaders in the church, but the reality is they're not truly redeemed. And Paul warned Timothy about this, about these same types of people when he talked about what would happen in the last days. He said in 2 Timothy 3, he says, Know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. I love that, disobedient to parents. I love showing my kids that one. But never mind. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good. He goes on and on to talk about those who are opposed to the work of the body of Christ and will do everything they can to stop it. That's a diatrophies. Lastly, let me ask you this. Would you be like Demetrius? Let's get it back on something that is a little more comfortable. You see, Demetrius had a good reputation inside and outside of the church. He says, everyone, in verse 12, says, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. You ever known that person that, even if you tried, you probably couldn't find someone say a bad word about him? Yeah, it was Demetrius. He had a great reputation. He was genuine. He was sincere. He was obviously, at least I'm reading into that based on what he says, that, that he, was, he was that type of person that when others spoke about him, they could not help but say good things. I've met more people like this in my lifetime than I could ever count. Last week, a dear, dear lady 
in my hometown of Marceline, Missouri, passed away. Her name was Dorothy Downing. She was 97 years old. Her, her late husband, Bob, was a second dad to me. I worked for him from, in the uh, IGA food liner from the time I was just before my 15th birthday until I went off to college. Bob, by the way, had mastered the art of sarcasm. I learned a great deal from him. Bob was one of the most wonderful people I've ever known in my life. Godly, loving, caring, a phenomenal boss, a great businessman. Dorothy was an angel. She was just sweet as she could possibly be. Bob passed away in the early 2000s. My mother passed away in 2015. My mother had had dementia for the last eight years of her life. Only a handful of people showed up at her funeral, which that wasn't surprising to any of us. But one of the people that walked in the door was Dorothy Downing. I was kind of shocked. She came and gave me a big hug and she said, you're one of my boys. This week, uh, my former high school golf coach was the one who gave her eulogy. He sent me a copy of it. I read through that on Friday morning and I thought, yeah. I'd already finished my sermon for Sunday and I thought, wow, that's kind of like Demetrius. Everyone spoke good of Dorothy Downing. Well, everyone speaks good of Demetrius. John says he had a great reputation and, even more importantly, his walk with God was evident to all. He says, we also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. It was very, very obvious that his walk with God was evident. And so my question for you is, as we looked at these individuals, what should be the foundation of how we conduct ourselves? Is it just so we have a good reputation? Is it just so others speak well of us? Is it just so there's peace in the church? Well, the answer is in verse 11, where John says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. For the one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. You see, imitating good is evidence of knowing God just because someone's good, by the way, doesn't mean they know God, but it is evidence of knowing God. And imitating evil is proof that we don't know God. And the question comes, why is this such a critical thing? And the reason is because everything we do, no matter where we are, should be to point others to the gospel. No matter who you are, whether you work with one-year-olds in the nursery, whether you work with the oldest group in Sunday school, whether you serve as a deacon or you serve on the praise team, or you serve in the choir, or you act as an usher, or whether you're someone who simply you come and you attend because this is your church home, everything we do should be to point others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our home, in our community, in our church, and everywhere we are. Because our life, our actions, and our attitude... All of it combined are going to enable us to point people to the gospel. And that's why we're here. You see, we have this horrible, and yes, I say horrible tendency to think that we who know Jesus and are saved, we who 
are the church, that then church, and I put that in quotes, should make us feel good and meet our desires. I once had a lady in the, my first senior pastor, and she came after me at the end of the service. I was preaching through the book of Ephesians, and it was at a little bit of a difficult point. And she came after me after the service, and she said, you obviously never paid attention during preaching class in seminary. And I remember, sarcasm. I was so tempted to say, you caught me. But I thought, no, 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 this lady's serious. And I, so I said, okay, ma'am, why do you say that? Because you don't have a clue what preaching is about. And I said, okay, I'm listening. And she said, the purpose of preaching is to make us feel good about who we are with God. No, ma'am, it's not. The purpose of preaching is to open the Word of God to you, to teach the Word of God to you, and let the Holy Spirit do whatever it needs to do in relation to that to either encourage you or convict you that you might become more like Christ. See, I told you you'd never paid attention in preaching class. And she stormed off. And the sweet lady behind her stepped up and said, Never mind her. Thank you for being faithful to the word. There are some who think church is all about us. But nothing could be further from the truth because church is not a place. Church is not a building. Church is not an organization. Church is an organism. It's the local body of Christ, those who have been de redeemed by the blood of Christ. And the reality is, everything we do as a church should be about worshiping Him, living for Him, honoring Him, and promoting Jesus. Everything. B.B. McKinney wrote a great hymn which tells us what we're to be about. While passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view... Be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? What joy twill be at set of sun in mansions beyond the blue to find some souls that you have won? Let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true. And lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. If you're going to be that, you've got to be a Gaius. Or you've got to be a Demetrius. You can't be a Diotrephes. And be the person that others see Jesus in. And so my encouragement to you today is to look within. And if God needs to do that work that only the Holy Spirit can do, to change you from a Diotrephes to either a Demetrius or a Gaius, be open to that. Because others are seeing something in you. And it really ought to be Jesus. That's why we're here. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us that despite who we are, you redeem us and you desire to make us more like our Redeemer. 
You desire to make us more into the image of Christ. And I pray, Father, that today each of us would be open and willing to your Holy Spirit working in our life. And Father, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that we in this room all know Christ. And I realize, Father, that the beginning point to allowing ourselves to become more like Christ is to know Him. And I pray, Father, if someone is in this room today and they don't know Christ, they've never come to that point of, of receiving Him into their life to forgive them of their sin and make them that new creation that today would be that day. Father, do that work in our lives that only you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, can do so that others would see Jesus in us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? As Tyler comes, he'll be down here at the front. If God's leading you to a decision point, whether it's to unite with this church family, we would invite you to do that or to come and, and, and just let God's Spirit work on you and, and just pour your heart, Tyler, if you need to. That others would see Jesus in us when we walk out these doors. You come as we sing. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.